leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity Leadership, where we talk to leaders within the cybersecurity field to learn about the skills and competencies needed to develop the next generation. Today, we have Jeffrey Wheatman, who's on the show, and he'll be sharing his insights on what it takes to become a great leader. But before we get there, this is a reminder to share this episode and others with anyone that's interested in breaking into cybersecurity or breaking into cybersecurity leadership so that they could see the different skills, competencies, and approaches that will be successful in advancing their career. Jeff, before we jump in, give us a little bit of background about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Christoph, how are you? It's a pleasure to talk to you again. So I have a little bit of an interesting career in cyber because I actually started out, believe it or not, in retail. I managed a hardware store in New York City uh, when I was uh, when I first got out of college. Or, you know what? It, but I hated it. I hated being in retail. I hated I hated that whole thing. And I came home from work one day, and I so I put myself through a training dating myself. I got certified in Novell where 3.11 to show you how long I've been around. And I did a bunch of technical things. And between you and me and all the people listening, I was never super great and a technical person. But what I found to move, that's really driven a lot of what I've done. When I finished my, my network certification, I actually went to go work for a company that installed color printers. I ran a team that installed these master image processors that were built on the old silicon graphics pizza boxes, if you remember those flat blue things. Sort of, I moved around quite a bit. I ended up in consulting uh, where I ran a lot of teams and I built consulting practices. I ran security and network operations for Martha Stewart in New York City for a number of years. And before anyone asks, yes, I was there during the investigation. I was out. And the thing that was super interesting about that is back then, the lawyers didn't have paralegals that knew anything about cybersecurity or tech. The FBI didn't really know a lot about it. They didn't know about things like MD5 checksums on files. I sent them files and I sent them all the MD5s and they said, what's that? And I said, the response from the feds was, why would anybody? Went, oh, okay, I'm going to keep this here. And I did that for a while. And then uh, I went and I built another, I built a consulting practice. I had my own company for a little while. And then I stumbled into the job at Gartner where I had the opportunity to work with tons of Fortune 1000 CISOs and chief risk officers and CFOs. And I learned more about leadership and managing people and working with people from watching other people do it and seeing what worked. 
and what didn't work. And I did that for 15 years and I love that job. I love the, the company, Black Kite, where I am. And uh, now I'm so closer to the problem. So we work in the third-party risk intelligence space. And I work with a lot of CISOs. I work with a lot of people in sourcing procurement and vendor management. And one of the things that I do a lot of with them these days is I help them engage with their non-IT, non-technical partners. Where people tend to struggle. I don't know when this is going to go up, but there's a case. And uh, they had two breaches, very significant breaches. The CISO got fired. The CEO got a raise and became the chairman of the board. They put out their annual report. They didn't talk about cybersecurity risks. Yes, they railroaded the CISO, but at the end of the day, did the CISO do a good job of communicating the business impact of those cyber risks? And they probably did not. So that's kind of kind of my story. I love to talk to people about coaching. I love to mentor people. I'm a big fan of helping people become, people become leaders as opposed to managers. Yeah, absolutely. I think helping new leaders switch from a tactical hands-on approach to a more strategic, holistic approach when working with the business is critical as they move up. But let's take a step back. In your career, you pivoted from, at some point from being an individual contributor to starting to lead teams. What in you decided that you really wanted to lead teams versus just controlling your own workload? That's a great question. And I think it's, I'm um, going to paraphrase a famous quote, right? Some, some people seek out leadership. Some people have leadership thrust upon them. And what happened was people started coming to me and asking me, hey, how do I do this? Or I'm struggling with this. There, I have conflict with someone on my team. And I just really started doing a lot of the things that leadership does. And when when a leadership role opened up, it I just stepped into it without even really thinking about it. And they did give me more money, so that, that was good. But what I realized was I enjoyed mentoring and leading and working with teams and building teams and find much, if not more, as doing pen testing and doing incident response, because those are a couple of things that, that I was doing. I got more satisfaction out of it, and it, that just pr propelled my career. And I'm proud to say I've had a number of people that have worked for me in more than one role. And a very good friend of mine told me, and I almost cried when she told me this, she, and she's a partner at one of the big, big four consulting firms. She said, everything I learned about managing and leading people, I learned working for you. And she worked for me 20 years ago. And she told me this last month. I love that. I thought it was something that I already started to answer. The next question is, what are some of the critical skills and competencies needed for a cybersecurity leader today? All right. So that, there's a lot, but we only have limited time. So I would say three or four of the key ones, I think, is we need to be better listeners. We have a tendency, especially those of us that come from a technical background, to get in front of a business audience. We have limited time, limited opportunities. So we tend to go, here's everything I know. And they're overwhelmed and they don't have the background. They don't have the context and they don't necessarily know what to do with what we do. I think being a better listener, being able to understand the perspective and, and the role and what is it that's important to you so that I can make sure that I'm talking. I think being a listener is another. I think another one, and here to me is the major difference between being a leader and a manager. Leaders lead from the front. They're in the front line. 
when there is a catastrophe, they're not home sitting in bed. They're in the data center. They're in the office. They're working with the team through the whole thing. They're there to act as, it wasn't even a breach. It was just, it was an availability issue. And all of the executives were banging on the door. My job during that was to make sure my engineers could build and to be at the front and not at the back and, and giving orders. I think you need to have people see the big picture. I'm a big fan of the old parable about the blind person, the blind people and the elephant. We always used to articulate the fact that when we're really close to a problem, we don't see the bigger picture and we tend to make decisions based on what we see in front of us. And then we step back and it turns out, oh, wow, everyone's done that. And we now have 10 parallel solutions that are not necessarily think that one of the characteristics this is, there's discussion on LinkedIn. I absolutely think showing that you don't know something, being open and honest, I think makes you much more valued as a manager, as a leader, as an executive. There was Harvard Business Review probably 10 or 12 years ago, did a study and they found that being liked was much more important quality in an executive than being found to be competent, right? And the only way that you can do that is by not demeaning people, not insulting people, listening to everybody. And here's the key thing for those of you out there, just because you listen doesn't mean you need to do what they tell you, but they at least need to believe that they are listened to, that they have been heard and that you are going mentoring saying, I'm a big believer that my job as a leader, my replacement, right? Too many executives see that as a threat. I've seen people lose jobs because they showed up their manager, but that's not what they did. What they did was they brought something to light that needed to be discussed and talked about. And their boss didn't like the fact that they got caught flat-footed. Now, if you get caught flat-footed, that's on you. That's not on that. So I know those are a lot of the things that are really important for a leader to Yeah, we'll dive into a couple others too. Let's dive into delegation. How would you define delegation and your comfort level of delegation on a scale of one to five and why? Yeah. So I would have had a different answer to this 10 years ago than I do now. I think that leaders, especially in larger organizations, have no choice but to delegate. Otherwise, you will quickly burn yourself out. I always joke that when I started in cybersecurity 30 years ago, it wasn't even called. There's just no way. But I think you do need to be able to trust that there is something that... Letting people do their jobs, I think, is very valuable. I do think you need to build touch points in there, especially for high-profile things. You don't want to be in a position where you get to the end of a six-month project that you delegated, and it turns out they did not do what you wanted. As far as my comfort with delegation, I have gotten significantly... My, the first thing out of my mouth was, that's fine, but did you try it this way? And I was always trying to get people to do things the way I want. Right. And I think that is not a great way to go. So I would say I probably used to be a two. I'm probably closer to a four now. Uh, not sure if I'm ever going to do a five. I tend to have some, I do sometimes suffer from, I'm Jeffrey Wheaton. And do you know who I am? And that's sometimes challenging and problematic. But I think it's a skill that can be learned. And I think it's a skill that can be coached. And I think that for leaders that don't feel they're good at it, go to your colleagues and learn how they do it. And, and I think we can learn from that. And that's definitely a discipline. And the next one I would ask would be in regards to collaboration. So very similar to delegation, but now you have to be actively working with them. How would you define collaboration and your comfort level at one to five and why? 
Well, collaboration to me is an example of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? If you take five really smart people and you bring them together, you will get more than five times the value. You may not necessarily get five times the work product, but you'll get more than five times the value. When I worked in consulting, I learned a lot about that need to be collaborative because the tendency was for the team lead to go send people to go do their thing. And then you bring it together, you'd end up spending twice as much time, three times as much time bringing all the things together as opposed to getting everyone in a room. I think collaboration has been significantly hampered as a result of COVID. I think, especially for younger people, I think it is much, much more difficult to collaborate remotely than it is to do it in person. You know, you and I can have a great interactive conversation with the two of us. Add a third party in on, on the gets more than twice as hard. And fourth party, it gets even harder still. And, and I do a lot of moderation of panels. And I've noticed that if you start adding people, it becomes much harder to moderate. And what is a panel other than a collaborative environment for people to share, to share ideas? Uh, and I actually earlier today had a call with one of my former colleagues at, at the research firm I used to work at. And we were talking about the fact that one of their strengths is they're big and one of their weaknesses is they're big. Everybody's so narrow, they don't do a great on, on collaboration sometimes. I would say that I am actually very collaborative. So I would say on a scale of one to five, I would give myself a five. I wouldn't think really, really big on bringing in ideas. And one of the things I always suggest people do, when you have a bunch of people from disparate backgrounds and you're trying to come to a, a conclusion, so a workshop or a tabletop exercise, I always tell people, give everyone a different job. So... For the exercise, the CEO can act as the CIO. The CIO should be the CFO. The CFO should be the CTO. And if you give everyone different jobs, you don't always get what you want, but you know, hey, I never thought about it that way before. And to me, that is one of the best outcomes of, of collaboration is getting people to think differently, to be able to bring ideas together, to create synergies of ideas. And, and here's the thing. I think collaboration is also not just people. I think collaboration is tools. I think collaboration is data at GPT. And I have started to use ChatGPT as part of my team, right? Because ChatGPT has different perspectives. I wouldn't go so far and see their thoughts, but they have different perspectives. And I think collaboration is about bringing that in. And if you're collaborating by having six of the same people in the room, that is not collaboration. You got to bring in disparate backgrounds and perspectives. And on the next skill, communication. How do you define communication? and your comfort level with communication on a scale of one to five and why? Yeah. So on a scale of one to five, I give myself a 10 on communication to pat myself on the back. It's a key for what I do, right? My job now is as an evangelist is about communicating. My job as a Gartner analyst was about communicating. And my 80% of what I did when I worked at Gartner was helping people be more effective communicators. But coming back to the, the actual question, Communication is about bi-directional interaction, right? Communication is not me telling you a story. Communication is me telling you a story. And then as I'm telling a story, I'm watching your face. I'm watching your hands. Are you leaning back? Are you leaning forward? Are you looking at your, make it much more interactive. I always tell people and I tell, I will tell your audiences now, when you're talking to someone, don't ever say, does that make sense to you? Because that's super insulting and very pedantic. But what can you say? Is this helpful? Will this help you make better and more informed decisions? If your management comes and asks you this question, do you feel comfortable answering it based on what we talked about? 
those are all different ways of saying, does this make not offensive? You don't want to be viewed as pedantic or mansplaining to, to use a, a different term. But I, we had a management meeting a couple weeks ago and I delivered a 30 minute session and one of my head sales guys came up to me and he goes, thank you. He's like, thank you for dumbing that down. And I said, I didn't dumb it down. I met you. Why, why would I make you learn what I know when I can take what I know and contextualize it so that it matters to you? You're in sales. You don't care about all the big technical detail. So I think communication is very much about meeting people where they are. And sometimes you meet them there and then you pull them closer to where you are. But I feel like it's, I think it's an underused skill. I'm a huge proponent of storytelling. I do presentations on storytelling all over the world and I will let everyone in a little bit of a secret. I was at an event and there were about 400 people in the audience and they were more on the junior side. And I'm talking about storytelling and I'm looking and I'm, I am an introvert. You wouldn't know it from listening to me. But my, if I had my druthers, I would be sitting at home on the couch with my beautiful wife watching TV and never going out. But that's not a functional lifestyle. Plus, no one would pay me to do that. So I have adopted a character. And that character is the cyber risk evangelist. And that character is funny and entertaining. You create your own character. And I think when we communicate, I think creating your character is super, super important. And I actually was talking with someone at an event a few weeks ago, and they said, so tell me who your character is. And they didn't really know. And we worked through it. And we said, all right, your character has these qualities. Your character has these weaknesses. Let's be that character. And when we finished the conversation, she said, that was like, that may be the most helpful 15 minutes anyone's ever given me in my career, because it never occurred to me that I could do that. Everyone thinks they need to be, and you need to be genuine. You don't want to be safe. Now, this is a character that I've been playing for a long, long time. So that, that are, are super important. I think that if you don't have the ability to be an effective communicator, I think whether it's as a prep. Now, pivoting off of communication, how would you describe the skill of influence and why is it so critical for cybersecurity practitioners and leaders to use this skill within their roles? That's a great question. And I, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that specific question. So, so I think that the word influence, I think, has a bit of a connotation to it. So we need to be careful, right? You don't want people to construe it as you're being manipulative. But I think exerting influence is about, and coming back to one of the first things I said, is going to your audience, understanding, so what's important to you, and then taking that and wrapping that around what it is I would like you to do. So as a simple example, I could go to my executives and I could say, I need, and they're probably not going to give me the money. If I go to them and say, so I spoke with all of the EVPs, the SVPs, and they've told us this system here is probably the most important when we have this system goes down, gets breached, we're out of business, or we're going to be fine. We have to protect that system. We have some things we do. And I'll be honest with you, we have some gaps in those. We'd like to close those gaps. We need to make an investment. We need X dollars, $5 million. If we don't do that, over the next couple of years, based on everything we know, we'll suffer more than $5 million, I think is really powerful. And then I will, I will make a suggestion to everyone out there. There is a psychology professor. His name is Robert Cialdini. He works at, I don't remember, it's either University of Arizona or Arizona State. And he wrote a seminal book probably 15 years ago called Influence, Science, and Practice. And he talks about six ways to get people to do what you want. And the book is great. If you can find the original versions, he's got a lot of stories in there. But things like reciprocity, if I do something for you, you feel obligated to do something for me. It's human nature, right? If you 
create the perception of scarcity. People will do. People want to do, people want to interface with people they like. And that's where finding common touch points are. So you, people like people who look like them, but they also like people who like the same sports as they do. They like the same teams, the same movies, the same books, right? The same kind of music. So building those bridges, and I won't go through all six of them, but I use them frequently, probably every single day to get people to at least understand why I am pitching them on whatever it is I'm pitching them on. And and I think uh, the final thing about influence that's very, very important, there is going where you are going to be done. You're going to be finished making your point. You're going to share what you know. That's what you want is just going to say, yeah, and you need to learn to step back. You can't drag people all the way, but what you do need to do is document the conversations and document. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this with the SEC ruling and some of the other regulatory stuff coming out where CISOs cannot be held accountable for decisions that are being made by their business stakeholders. So if a CISO is indicating what the risks are, that's on you, not on me anymore. And I know we don't like to give up. No, you don't understand. Let me just tell you one more thing and it will definitely change your mind. And that's just, that's not going to work. Use what you got and then be prepared to step in. Let people do what they're going to do. People are, have their own agency. They're going to do whatever they want. And going from there, let's talk about another important skill, the skill of networking. How would you describe the skill of networking and why is it critical to cybersecurity and leadership? And um, just to set the stage, this is networking between computers. This is networking between people. Yes. Yes. That's good because I don't know that much about networking between computers anymore. So... I think that's a great, it's a great thing to talk about. I think there are lots of different kinds of networks out there. You have your network at your office, at your company, you know who decision makers are. And frequently decision makers are not who you think they are when you first walk in. To be able to bring disparate parties together there, there was a book a bunch of years ago. It was a little bit more technical, but it was about networking theory with people. And they identified things like hubs and influencer and, and all these different roles. And they actually used it to analyze the hijackers for, so I think you, you have to have your internal network. I think you also have to be networking with people outside of your organization that I um, work with people who are in and out of your vertical. One of my roles at Gartner was, I was a leadership partner. And the thing I learned, the most valuable thing I learned from that role was that there are things that higher eggs doing that can absolutely inform what financial services are doing, but they're not talking to each other, giving more than you get, giving more than you asked for, right? So I'm very active on LinkedIn. I actually just hit 5,000 followers last night. I was very excited about that. And I, I know for you, you have a couple more than that. I'm never going to catch up. But what I try to do is for every one thing I put out there where I talk about what we do at Black Kite, because ultimately that's my job is I talk about other things. I talk about what's going on in the world. I share parables. I take pictures and use them to build stories. And then when people like what I post, I go and connect to them and I say, hey, thanks for engaging. If there's anything you need, please do not hesitate to ask. And I think that's probably how you and I met on LinkedIn was I like something of yours or you like something of mine. And I reach out to all those people and I say, look, I Anything you need, you you reach out. I will be happy to help you. I make connections with people all the time on LinkedIn, outside of LinkedIn. And what I have found is other people are willing to do them. I, I think sometimes security people have a tendency to only really interact with other security people. And I think detriment. Now, 
keep in mind, you can only have so many close friends. So networking isn't always about that. And my wife has actually said to me more than once, my wife owns a little company and she does branding for people. She says, frequently, you get more from the people who are a little bit farther away from you than the people that are super close. To you. Hey, can you intro to me to this person? I, I think I'd it's an underutilized skill. I echo what your wife said, because for example, in my recent search, all the people that were close to me already knew what I was looking for. But when I posted it publicly, it's all the people that I didn't interact with on a daily basis that were doing the shares, that were commenting, that were doing yep. that. And you'll find that the people that you interact with daily, the reciprocity that you have with them usually has been used continuously. So there, there isn't that, that feeling to um, give you more. Whereas the people that you potentially helped without knowing it, you're now willing to go, oh, the advice you gave me 10 years ago was so helpful. Of course, I introduce you to that person or right. whatever the situation might be. But I totally yeah. agree with you there. Yeah. Um, and then one thing I'll just add on there too, which I think is important. I, for, for quite a while, I always hesitated about reaching out to people because I don't want to bother you. I don't want to bother them. And whenever I articulate that to people, they go, what are you talking about? It's no bother. I love talking to you. I love helping people. So you're not bothering people as a general rule. When you reach out to them, people are on LinkedIn because they want to be linked to other people. And I think it's important. You're not bothering. And you're not bothering me. If you listen to this and you connect to me, I will respond. And if you need anything, I will do my best to try to help. And as we wrap up the end of our podcast, I know you've shared a lot of advice, but what final advice would you give to cybersecurity leaders that are looking to pivot up from a more tactical career to a more strategic career to move on up the chain? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's tough. I think finding yourself a mentor in your organization, maybe out of your organization, who can guide you, because it's a big step to go from being a practitioner to being a leader. So I think finding a mentor or what we need to call it. I think the other thing too is you need to expand the, your learnings. There's free classes online. Learn how to read a P&L. Learn how to read a general ledger. Learn how to read a balance sheet. Take, take classes in, in public speech. Learn Start looking at 10Ks, looking at 10Qs, looking at annual reports for companies, figuring out what it is that is important. And here's one last thing. Stop with acronyms. Acronyms are great when you're talking to people in your tribe, but when you start talking to people outside of your tribe, acronyms basically insulate you. We don't want, you don't want your, but it's an important thing to, again, meet, meet people where. Absolutely. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing your advice with us. Truly appreciate it. And for everyone, as a reminder, thank you for joining Breaking Into Cybersecurity Leadership, where we're looking to help develop the next generation of leaders. So there's a leader or a future leader in your network. Feel free to share this with them so that they can learn from the skills and competencies of others, and we can have that diverse perspective within our industry. Thank you all.